The scripture we'll read together this morning is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I encourage everyone to follow along. And if you use the, uh, the New King James, the Pew Bibles that you'll find in the pew in front of you, this is on page 1025, 1025. Again, that's 2 Corinthians, first chapter, verses 15 through 20. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before, that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It's encouraging to have you here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. What a blessing it is to worship God on the first day of the week. Samuel Goldwyn, he is a movie producer, and he is known for his misusage of the English language. And he is known for sayings like this, An oral contract isn't worth the paper it's written on. Or let me give you two words, impossible. Or he would tell actors, tell them to stand closer apart. Or he would say, for your information, just answer me one question. But on this morning's theme, think about this saying that he says, True, I've been a long time making up my mind, but now I'm giving you a definite answer. I won't say yes. I won't say no, but I'm going to give you a definite maybe. How many times in life have we been discouraged by individuals <clears throat> that we can't count on the word? If they tell us on Friday, yes, I'll see you at your house at, at 10 on Saturday, that only means that if around 9 or 9.30 on Saturday morning, they feel like it. In other words, they feel like telling you that on Friday, but they may not feel like fulfilling it on Saturday. How many times have we had friends that would stand with us at one time in doing the right thing, but yet if we were around a different peer group, they won't stand with us at that time? Because at one time it felt like the right thing to do, and at the other time it felt better to do the wrong thing. Friends, when we have the text that's been so capably read for us broke down this morning, it really comes down to this. Paul is saying to them, I really wanted to come and see you. And I didn't say that and not mean it. As a matter of fact, he's saying in my ministry, I have a ministry that yes is yes and no is no. And then he gets that ministry from God. If you notice there in verse 18, again, he said, But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. 
Paul, where do you get that kind of commitment that yes is yes and no is no? He says, I get it from God. God will never tell us yes and then do no. And then for the theme this morning, he uses the example of Jesus. I'd like for you to read with me again verse 19, and I'd like for you to think about what Jesus went through the night before and the morning of his crucifixion. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises in God in him are yes. Friends, what a wonderful, wonderful fact that this morning we can rejoice in the fact that God is faithful and His Son is faithful. And when he had the calmness of the night over in the upper room, well, he was celebrating the Passover, and then he gave the prophecy that he would die, teaching about the Lord's Supper, saying that his blood would be the cup that they would drink. And he would leave saying, yes, that that's what he had come to this earth to do. And they would go through the Kidron Valley, and as they would pass through there, he would give the, the feelings that he was feeling. He would pray about what he was feeling. He would teach about what he was feeling. It was there that we have the vine and the branches. It's also there that he prayed for himself. He prayed for his apostles, but he also prayed for all that would live and be believers. But then we come to this moment of anxiety, this intense time, this moment of agony. Now please note this. He sweated as if it were great drops of blood and he cried out vehement cries. But one thing he did not say, he did not say, well, you understand that I can't, I can't die any longer. It's just too stressful. You understand that. I know just back earlier in the upper room that I was planning on that, but look at these, these sweat drops. Look at the agony I'm in. You'll understand that now my yes has to become no. You'll understand that, won't you? How many of us live a life like that? Oh, you understand, it's just become so stressful. I can't keep my commitment anymore. Oh, you understand that now it's starting to cost me more than what I thought I'd have to pay. I can't keep my commitment anymore. Oh, you understand that now death is staring me right in the eye. You don't really expect me to keep my commitment to death, do you? Friends, maybe we've heard the story of the old rugged cross so many times that we have lost the appreciation for Jesus being a man that his yes is yes. And when they come searching for the one to crucify, he brings himself out and presents himself. And even when he is marched over into the high priest and he talks with Annas and he talks with Caiaphas, you remember it's here that they falsely accuse him. It's here that they begin to spit upon him and to slap him. Well, now you understand, I had to back out at this point, right? You know that I was, I was willing to die for you, but I just didn't expect such, such indignation. They were so cruel. They were so hatred, hateful. Do you appreciate Jesus being a man of his word? And then the taken to the Sanhedrin council and more false witnesses, more false motives. And by the way, this map shows that the Sanhedrin would have met in a house over closer to the temple. Others believe that the Sanhedrin would have probably met in the high priest area. I've studied it for hours this week and all I can tell you is I don't know. But 
there was so much destroyed in, in 70 whenever Jerusalem was destroyed that we can't go back and find buildings that one time existed. And, and so we're relying so much on tradition. But the point is that early that morning, they finally gathered for the final time with Jesus before they would take him to Pilate. And they declared that he, his blasphemy, him claiming to be the Son of God, was reason enough to march him over to Pilate. Now what a contrast. We have our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that His yes remain yes all the way through the night and even to the morning hours. And then we find Pilate. And poor old Pilate, spineless, coward, indecisive, he can't find a place to land. One moment, he's on the side of Jesus. He's innocent. Another moment... He's bringing Jesus out front to say, what do you want to do with him? Friends, for the next few minutes, I'd like for us to look through the scriptures and to try our best to get this in chronological order. We're going to have to move around to different gospels. And after we put this list of about 10 movements of Pilate together, the lesson is ours to then consider, are we more like Jesus, that we are people of faith, we are people of conviction, that we believe that there is a life worth living, worth standing on God and letting our yeses be yes and our noes no. And as we also study this, I want all of us to consider, are we like Pilate? How many times have we not stood where we once had stood? And why are we moving about? Look with me, if you will, to John the 18th chapter. And John the 18th chapter, as Pilate is moved to the praetorium, which in the next slide I'd like for you to see in a model that is in a museum in Israel. The model there that is circled, you see that it was an elaborate building if this, in fact, is the same praetorium that Jesus would have been led to to speak to Pilate. And, and most of tradition and everything says that it would have been like this. Now, when we look at the next, which is an artist's rendering, I simply want to show you this so we can picture in our mind. You see the beauty of the columns. You see how Pilate is standing there with Jesus. Pilate, throughout this morning, finds himself standing beside Jesus often. Sometime back behind, inside the praetorium, and sometime it's out front, looking at the masses. Keep in mind, just try to visualize how many Jews would have been in Jerusalem during the Passover. Hundreds of thousands of Jews would have been gathered. And so all of this is taking place in front of a vast audience, no doubt. And let's begin seeing some of this movement. We're in John, the 18th chapter, and we're going to start in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. And it was early in the morning, but they, talking about the Jews themselves, did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Let's pause right here to just notice the inconsistency. They have no problem crucifying an innocent man. But what they do have a problem with is we do not, during the Passover, need to enter into an area of the Gentiles because then that would make us unclean and we couldn't celebrate our Passover. And the irony is Jesus Christ is the great Lamb of God that was going to be the Passover Lamb. How strange and how perverted our spirituality becomes when we lose love 
and replace it with envy. And that's exactly what these leaders had done. And in 29, because they won't come in, Pilate went out. So we see the first movement of Pilate. He goes out to meet them. He wants to know what the accusations that they have to bring. They're going to claim that he, Jesus is claiming to be a king and that Jesus refuses to pay his taxes. Pilate wants them in 31 to handle this matter. You judge him. And then their answer to that is, it's not lawful for us to put a man to death. In other words, we would judge him, but we can't carry out the sentence that we want to carry out. So that's why they are bringing him to Jesus. Now, when we begin reading at 33, we see a movement in. Then Pilate entered in the praetorium again, called Jesus to him and says to him, Are you the king of the Jews? They discuss a few things back and forth. And then finally in 36, Jesus answers and tells him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And then he also in 37 begins discussing with him about the truth. Notice 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate's answer is, What is truth? Let's back up and just make a brief comment. Isn't that powerful insight for us about his kingdom? Why didn't they fight? Peter wanted to. He drew out his sword and he began the battle, but Jesus immediately put that battle to an end. And now he's talking to Pilate and Jesus gives us more information of why Peter did not continue that battle. My kingdom's not of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. The uh, the apostles, they struggled with understanding the idea of a spiritual kingdom. The Jews struggled even to understand the idea of a spiritual kingdom. They wanted an earthly kingdom that would even reign over Rome. We sometimes struggle with the idea of a spiritual kingdom. We want things on this earth absolutely perfect. And we want to believe that all of God's greatest blessings are going to be physical blessings that he gives to us. And friends, the greatest blessings that we can ever experience are the spiritual blessings. But then he brings up the topic of truth. And notice as he speaks of truth, he says, everyone that is of truth is going to hear my word. But notice Pilate is in a sense is throwing up his hands and saying, what is truth? Friends, do you realize how that describes Christianity versus the world today? Christians are supposed to be people who know who they are. They're supposed to be people that know who owns them and who they belong to, know what they believe and why they will not move from that conviction. And yet people in the world, we expect them to be here today and there tomorrow and back over here the next day. And friends, if I'm getting wrapped up in the worldly concept of who could ever know truth, I'm falling into the world. Now, it is in this setting that we begin in 38. Pilate says to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, notice, he went out again to the Jews. So now here's the third movement of Pilate. And he said to them, I find no fault in this man at all. That's his reasoning. That's that's his a feeling after going back and talking with him. But when we turn over to Luke, the 23rd chapter, and we start putting this together with Luke's, we find out that Jesus is standing there as he says, I find no fault with this man. And the Jews and the leaders of the Jews, the chief priests, they begin 
yelling out accusations against Jesus. And one of the things they say in the 23rd chapter in verse 5, but they were the more furious saying, He stirs up the people teaching them throughout all Judea and beginning from Galilee to this place. Now, did you hear that? They're throwing back accusations. He stirred up trouble from Galilee to Judea. Now, you'd like to think Pilate would stand by what he has already said. This man's an innocent man. I'm going to let him go. But you see, there's more things in Pilate's life that are more important than truth. He's concerned about his political office. And so he begins playing at this point a political game. And when he hears the idea that he's from Galilee, that was music to his ears. Because it would just so happen that the Galilean leader, the one that had jurisdiction over, Herod, would also be in the area since it was the Passover. And so we continue reading. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that, he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction. He sent him over to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, as they go over to Herod, which would have been probably on the western side of the city. We see that this was literally becoming a time of intrusion in the life of Jesus. Now, the reason we say that is, you know, to intrude is is wrongful entry. And here at this point, Jesus kind of closes the doors. And he is not going to allow Herod into his life at this point. What's interesting is that Herod had heard much about the miracles and the powerful teaching of Jesus and had been wanting for quite some time to be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus would not show him a miracle, would not even open his mouth to answer what the Scripture says. He asked him many questions and he wouldn't answer one of them. Instead, verse 11 Of Luke, the 23rd chapter, then Herod with his men of war treated him with contempt. They mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and they sent him back to Pilate. Remember our theme this morning. Did he continue with his yes being yes? I've come to this earth to die for mankind. Is he going to stay on that track even when Herod mocks him? Even when Herod and his men laugh at him and probably in the contempt would end up striking him. They send him back. They know nothing else to do. And so now we see him moving back before Pilate. In the 13th verse of the 23rd chapter, then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I found no fault with him. You see, there's the announcement again. And he even says in 15, Herod has found no fault with him. And then he says in 16, what is very much a cruel political move, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Crucifixion was a horrible execution. If you did not want to kill someone, but you wanted to do about as much, uh, inflict about as much pain as you could possibly inflict without death, you could scourge a man. But even those that were scourged would have, those that were doing the scourging would have to be trained so that they wouldn't kill the individual they were scourging because it was so violent. 
And so when we look in Mark the 15th chapter, we see a terrible movement. In Mark the 15th chapter in verse 16, it says, Then the soldiers led him away into the hall. So now Jesus is being led back into the hall. And it's here that we read that they scourged him, especially if we go back to John the 19th chapter. They scourged him. They placed a crown of thorns upon his brow. They put a purple robe upon him. They held him king. They struck them with their hands. And then finally, after this brutal beating, they lead Jesus back. And Pilate comes in verse 4 for another movement. He went out again and he says to them, I find no fault with this man. That ought to break your heart. Our Savior's back is ripped open with 39 or 40 lashes of a whip by a man who just before he gave that command said, I find no fault with him. And then immediately afterwards in such mockery still comes out and says, I found no fault with him. And what's the response of the leaders of the Jews going to be? Verse 5, he moves Jesus out with him. Then Jesus came out. He's wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and Pilate says, Behold, the man. And their response in 6 is, Crucify him. Pilate's response is, I still find no fault in him. Their response is, He made himself the Son of God, and this brings fear into the life of Pilate. Now we see another movement. Because of this, in verse 8, he goes back into the praetorium and it is bringing Jesus back in. He questions him as to whether or not what they are saying is true. He will not answer. And Pilate begins to reason with him, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or the power to release you? And Jesus reminds him that all power has been given to him. Because remember, Jesus is giving his life. His life is not being taken. And so then... Pilate sought to release him again as he goes out in front of the crowd in verse 12. And the crowd cries out, you're not a friend to Caesar if you allow this man to be released. You see, they know that they have to push the political buttons of this man that has no conviction for truth. And Pilate then brings Jesus out along beside him. And then he is delivered. And in verse 16... Verse 16, then he delivered him to be crucified. So they took Jesus and they led him away. The final movement that we'll study today. They led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place, the place of the skulls, which called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Thank God that Jesus was faithful. When he entered into Jerusalem that week, the people were putting down palm leaves and hailing him king. By the end of the week, the people were crying, crucify him. One of the apostles that started with him turned away and betrayed him. 
One of the apostles that said, I'd lay down my life for you that night denied him. And the scripture says all of the apostles forsook him. Pilate, he just continued to move back and forth. I remind you, he's innocent. Let me send him to Herod. I remind you, he's innocent. Let's scourge him. I remind you, he's innocent. I'll allow you to crucify him. Would you crucify the Lord afresh? When we don't stand with him, we crucify him afresh. Matthew, the sixth chapter, reminds us we can't serve two masters. We'll either love one or hate the other or be loyal to the one and despise the other. Revelation, the third chapter, reminds us of the church in Laodicea. You see, they couldn't decide if they wanted to be hot or if they wanted to be cold. And the Lord writes to this church and He says, Because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Friends, as we extend this invitation... I ask you to think and consider this. God knows we're not perfect. That's why He sent His Son to die for us. That's the beauty of God's grace. That's the only way we can be saved. But friends, let me learn from Pilate this morning how dangerous it is to go back and forth and never firmly put our roots down in truth. This morning, if you've played church for a few months or for a few years or for for a few decades. I'd encourage you to stop playing with God and start committing to God. If you've just played the role of a Christian every now and then, I'd urge you to realize that it was people that played a religious role that crucified Jesus. If the truth doesn't really matter to you, There's really a lot that's wrong. This morning, where are you? Thank God we serve a faithful God and a gracious God who invites us to be faithful. Have you become His child? Have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? Have you made that statement that, yes, I want to be a Christian. I want to repent of sins. I want to confess. I want to be baptized and come out of that water living faithful. If not, wouldn't this morning be a wonderful time to do that? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, your yeses have not been yes. Your noes have not been no. Wouldn't this morning be a wonderful time to say, I'm tired of trying to remember how I lived in front of one group and how I lived in front of another. I'm tired of trying to remember what I said here and what I said there. I'm tired of trying to live two lives and feel like a hypocrite. Wouldn't it be wonderful if today forward I could just say, look, this is me, a child of God, faithful, forgiven, just doing my best. If you need to repent and confess sin, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.